Hi everyone, I'm Kyle Bechet, and this is the AAF Exchange, a podcast from the American Action Forum, where experts provide clear, data-driven insights into today's economic and domestic policy issues. Welcome, and thank you for tuning in. On this episode of the AAF Exchange, Russia's war on Ukraine has entered its fourth week. The administration is set to release the president's long-awaited 2023 budget, and the Federal Reserve is moving on rate hikes to slow inflation. Joining us to break all this down is AAF's Douglas Holtagen. Doug, thanks for joining us. Happy to be here. How have things been? How is your bracket doing? Mine is a disaster, so. Uh, yeah, um, I, I don't even have enough left to call it a bracket. I mean, there's some <laughs> there's some scraps on the floor somewhere. <laughs> Once in a while, I feel like every like six or seven years, I get really lucky and <laughs> get like a really good bracket, but it's always a disaster after the second day. <laughs> so let's jump right into things uh, and start with the situation in Ukraine. Um, it's been over a month since Russia's war on Ukraine began, and there's no end in sight. What do we know about the economic impact to date of the war in on Ukraine? Um, and what do you anticipate the impact to be over the next couple of months? I think we know uh, a couple of things. First, uh, you know, there are two different stories, one of which is the impact on Russia and the fact that the sanctions are taking hold and uh, there isn't anyone who doesn't predict a, a double dip decline in uh, double uh, digit decline in the Russian economy. Uh, and then there's the fallout elsewhere. Uh, main channels for the globe are uh, oil, natural gas and commodity markets. Um, Russia and Ukraine are, are more important to the world wheat market than they are to oil or natural gas. Uh, so there, there are real concerns about the food supply, uh, sub-Saharan Africa, Middle East. Um, so th those fallouts will happen. Uh, this will help slow growth in Europe unquestionably, and that's always um, uh, uh, an impact on the U.S. economy. China is also slowing, and that's an impact on the U.S. economy. This exacerbates the, the inflation problem in the United States and forces the Fed to work harder. We'll talk more about that later, I know. So, you know, th those broad contours are now pretty clear. And the question is, how long does this go on? No one can answer that. And the uncertainty in and of itself is often detrimental as people get nervous about it. And there'll be th more targeted things that we're going to hear more about as time goes on. I, you know, I, I found out, for example, that Ukraine is one of the leading locations for clinical trials of pharmaceuticals, new therapies. They have obviously all stopped and we will lose the development of over a thousand new drugs in the short term as they try to figure out what to do with the clinical trials. So there, there are going to be some targeted fallout in, on minerals and things like that. Uh, that you that you know we're going to start seeing news stories about. Interesting, I hadn't heard that, but that's that's a very interesting storyline. Um, but anyways, Washington Democrats are using the line um, Putin's price hike. We hear that a lot. I've been hearing that a lot recently. That this is Putin's price hike when it comes to inflation to explain the huge spikes in gas prices. Um, that feels like a half truth to me. To what extent is the increase in gas prices a result of uh, the war in Ukraine? And we've seen the recent spike since the invasion of a month ago add, uh, you know, a, a substantial amount, as much as a dollar in some places to the gas price. But uh, th there were two dollars before that that came from uh, recovery of global demands in uh, oil markets and uh, the supply not recovering quickly enough. And in the U.S., the additional uh, capacity to spend on, on gasoline and other uh, oil products because of the excessive stimulus. And so the inflation that the U.S. has is, was well in train much, much prior to the invasion. 
Interesting. On a similar note, what might be the economic impact of the United States evolving sanctions uh, and tariffs on Russian products? I think the the big question is whether there will be a a set of sanctions that directly target the oil and natural gas. Uh, The fallout on Europe will be uh, quite severe, especially in in gas. And that would spill over to a a lot of U.S. markets, our our multinationals trying to sell into Europe. Uh, uh, That's that would be a, a significant negative headwind. It's the reason there has not yet been a consensus among the allies to go forward with that. Yes, it, it would have a big impact on Russia, but also on the, the European allies. Uh, on the supplemental package for Ukraine, um, the increased defensive spending, as well as aid to Ukraine and potentially other affected European nations, what, what has already been done and what do you foresee federal spending related to U- the Ukrainian invasion um, will look like over the next uh, year or so? Well, they, they appropriated uh, a little under $15 billion to uh, provide uh, relief and support to Ukraine. And that's a sensible thing to do. I, I would be quite surprised if we didn't see another one. Uh, this will also raise the specter of having to um, meet NATO obligations uh, uh, with other European countries. And there has been a longstanding battle between the U.S. and those countries about having the Europeans pay a greater share of their NATO obligations. Many of them uh, haven't been close to what they promised. We've seen Germany promise to raise their spending. That's a, uh, a U-turn of pretty significant proportions. Maybe the rest of the countries will do the same thing. But regardless of how Ukraine ends, uh, we're going to see the Baltic com- com- uh, countries and, and you know Poland and all the, the NATO allies being more concerned about their capacity to defend themselves, and the U.S. will be involved in that, I would expect that to cost some money. Interesting. Let's put that aside for now and turn to the long-awaited president's budget. (laughs) It's a little behind schedule, but uh, first, what will this budget tell us about the president's priorities? I think it's it's long overdue, obviously. It was due the first Monday in February, and uh, the the key things to look at is that first you have to build the budget on an economic forecast. And we haven't seen an official forecast out of this administration uh, since the mid-session review last summer. Uh, that was a, an economic forecast that included uh, 2% inflation as far as the eye can see. It, it's hard to imagine they are going to repeat that. So how how much inflation will they acknowledge? You know, What will be the, the peak? Uh, or maybe they will assert the peak has already been reached. And how fast does it come down? When do we hit the the um, the Fed's two percent target? Um, uh, as as some bat, you know, sort of color to that that question, uh, the chairman of the Federal Reserve, Jerome Powell, recently went on record saying he expected it would take three years to get down to their target. So if if they show it happening next year, you're going to have to start wondering whether that's a plausible forecast or not. But I think there's going to be some real attention on the economic forecast in a way that we just haven't seen in a while. Then there's a question of you know. What do you do with the rest? Will there be an acknowledgement of the need for more defense spending? What will be the defense request? Uh, will there be uh, anything that looks like a, a pivot away from the constellation of programs that became the Build Back Better Act? You know, it had so many names, American Jobs Plan, American Family Plan, Build Back Better Act, all of that. But th- that was, that was a, a set of plans that led us to have the largest fraction uh, uh, the largest uh, government spending is a fraction of GDP ever, right? Including World War II, 
and it, it included tax increases that, that brought us to the highest level in the post-war era, uh, taxes, fraction of GDP. Will they come back with the same basic template? Huge spending, big tax, unapologetically, here we go. Or will they try to, to tailor this a bit for um, the, the midterms and, and the political realism that that's just never going to happen? Um, we'll see. I think those are the two big ones, the economic forecast and what they do with the architecture of the budget. Does it change at all? Yeah, you mentioned the president's uh, budget usually contains that economic outlook. Are we going to get a rosy picture of what the economy looks like from this budget? What do you what do you think the administration will predict in it? I mean, unquestionably. So every administration budget is, quote, dynamically scored, because what, if you read it, it says the economic projections are assuming the implementation of the president's plan. So everything that's proposed in here is supposed to happen. And then you get um, the economic forecast as a result. No administration says the things we're proposing are going to cause a recession. It's not going to happen. So you get these fairly rosy scenarios almost because you have to. You're claiming you're going to implement everything. You have to claim they're good for the economy. So you get, you know, a, a, an upper bound kind of uh, outlook. And then it gets reined in by reality. You know, they, they, they put together the, the forecast and then look at the blue chip and other outside forecasters, and they don't want to be too far out of line with that. So you end up sort of at the upper end of the plausible spectrum. Gotcha. So it's more, you more look at the, that outlook as like a, how do they think their policies are going to affect that economic outlook, right? So in particular, they've made a very big deal out of uh, the fact that if you do childcare and paid family leaves and uh, child credits and, and the, the array of things that were in the, the Build Back Better Act, that we're going to see female labor force participation rise. Does their economic forecast show labor force participation rising dramatically? That would expand the supply side and, and help uh, contain inflation over the long term. How fast do they have that happen? You know, if it jumps by two percentage points next year, I think that'd be a little unbelievable. But you know, you, you could get a big inflation dip out of something like that. So how they put the pieces together really does tell you something. And then uh, if you look at Congress's uh, hearing schedule. Um, if that's any indication about what's happening, I know you've been busy making the rounds of committees recently. Uh, congressional Democrats are renewing their push for various components of the Build Back Better agenda. You know, you've testified, I think, twice in the past two weeks on BBVA uh, priorities. Where do you see this effort going? Well, they're they're trying in general to restore congressional enthusiasm for the BBVA agenda. And so uh, let's go to the Senate Agricultural Committee and talk about uh, the rural care economy, whatever that means, but it's really how would BBVA help in, in these communities? Go to the Senate Finance Committee and talk about the prescription drug proposals in particular. That I think is interesting because you could more easily imagine the Senate passing the tax increases that, that you know Democrats have wanted for a long time, passing something on prescription drugs that also gives you additional savings, and so and then using those funds to pick a priority out of the BBVA and pass it out of the Senate. I think the Senate Democrats feel like they need to do that. They need to get something done for the, the midterm elections. I don't think it means that the House is going to say, oh, okay, we agree. Out of all of these priorities, let's do that one. That's been the Achilles heel of this effort from the beginning. They had to do everything or they couldn't get anything. And so I think they're still in that box. We'll have to watch that all play out on Capitol Hill over the next couple of months. Um, but finally, let's turn to the Fed. On Monday, you had a front row seat to Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell's discussion on price stability um, at the National Association of Business Economics Conference. What did we learn from the, from his speech? Well, I think 
the speech got a lot of attention because it was considerably more hawkish than he has been in uh, public before. Uh, my take on his performances has been that he's more hawkish when speaking for himself than when he's speaking on behalf of the, the Fed or the Open Market Committee uh, as a whole. I think the Fed is way behind the curve on getting where they need to be to fight inflation. It looks to me as if he's beginning to appreciate that. And he, what he did was really lay the groundwork for moving in bigger chunks. So put on the table a 50 basis point increase instead of 25 at the next meeting. If you think about it, if you do 50, why would you go back to 25 if, if your stated goal is to get the, the interest rates to, quote, neutral as expeditiously as possible? So that means take 50 basis point chunks uh, every meeting instead of 25 and you get there expeditiously. So I think he was really signaling that's the new agenda, at least in his mind. Can he sell it to the rest of the committee? We'll see. And in, in the process, he, he really did uh, lay the groundwork for aggressive rate hikes. But he uh, uh, continued to say, we are not going to aggressively reduce the portfolio. We're going to do that in the background in steady fashion. Can't tell you exactly how yet. And so, you know, the, the Fed strategy is becoming clearer. Uh, they still have a, a big a big challenge. Um he, he took, I think, great pains to say there have been three occasions when the Fed raised rates and uh, we did not go into a recession. They were able to, to get the inflation down somewhat and the economy continued to grow. Th those three, not everyone has the same reading of those episodes. And, and those three are the exception, not the majority. So it, it's still a big risk that they face that in trying to combat this inflation, they, they, they bring growth way down. Yeah. And you said you said their their timeline, I think earlier in the podcast, you said maybe like three years they're looking at this as a three year long battle. I was surprised by that. I, I you know, um, there's an old rule in economics forecasting, which is give them a date or give them a number, but don't give them both. <laughs> he gave us a number. Two percent their target. He gave us a date three years from now. Um, that's a that's a that was unusually blunt for a Fed chairman speaking in public. I thought uh, he was also, I thought, fairly blunt aiming to the economists on the left. Um, if you think back to 2018-19, uh, uh, the Fed held steady. It did not raise rates, uh, even though the unemployment rate got down to 3.2%. They really made a great public show of saying, we're going to let the economy run hot. And it was producing these wage gains at, for low-skilled workers, and that's a good thing. And we don't see any evidence of inflation. And, and, it was, and it was successful. It really was. The unemployment rate is now 3.8%. And he's saying... We raise rates and we're going to raise them even more and we're going to raise them faster. And you can imagine people saying, hey, like, what did we learn back there? You don't need to raise rates. It's 3.8. We were down at 3.2. So he went through a list of reasons why 3.8 was misleading. You know, the labor market is incredibly hot. There are 1.7 jobs for every person looking for a job. If you look at the, the potential jobs, which is actual employment plus listed job openings, there are 5 million more of those than potential workers, people in the labor force. So there's a big mismatch between supply and demand. It's just like, look, you know, we, we have to, to get this under control. Interesting. Well, Doug, thanks for joining us and talking about all these different issues. Uh, closing in on that episode 100, I think we got two more to go after this. I expect a theme song for that uh, podcast and, and all sorts of special doings. You know, maybe we'll get a cake or something. I don't know. <laughs> thanks so, for joining us again. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. Tune back in for our next episode, where our experts will provide clear, data-driven insights into today's economic and domestic issues. 
I'd also encourage you to check out any of the links in our show notes and also follow us on social media to learn more about AAF. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play.